0: Welcome to the Classic City Church podcast. For up to date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. I want to talk about uh, something I think it is just on my heart burden for our church and and I just want to just kind of kind of share from the heart with you. And uh, the title of this message if you want to write it down, is I want to talk to you about how Jesus ruined his disciples. And subtitle is how he intends to also ruin you. So I want to look at this in the Bible, how Jesus ruined his disciples and how he intends to ruin you. So if you will, turn with me in the Bible to the, go to the Gospels, and what we're going to do, we're going to look at this thought in three tiers. One, I'm going to look generally at three sort of scenes in the Gospels from Jesus' life, from his biography. Just three scenes of the, of the Jesus story that we read in the, in the Gospels. And then I want to summarize that. And then I want to talk to you. The second tier is to talk to you about something very specific. And then I want to close with something very practical uh, to help you embrace this. But if you look at, in the Bible, look at Mark chapter 1. I want to start in verse 17, or we can start in verse 16, I guess, or verse 14. Let's do that. Mark 1, just keep doing I love counting numbers up here. It's kind of a cool thing, I guess. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent, and believe the gospel, believe the good news. Verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who was later to become the disciple Peter, and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake, they were fishermen. Jesus said to them in verse 17, come follow me and I will send you out. To fish for people. Some versions will say, come follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. Now, these guys were, if you just give you a little background, Jesus is out and he's preaching. He's beginning his ministry. And real quickly, Jesus was the hot rabbi. He was the the, the guy to go hear preach. And he was very uh, popular. He was rolling. And As he was doing this, he was gathering up some disciples and he went to some guys who were fishermen, very common guys, they weren't talented, there was nothing exceptional about them. But he went to them and he said, you guys stop what you're doing and follow me and as you follow me, you will become a fisher of men. So Jesus kind of lays something out to them. He says, hey, look, if you'll follow me, Your life will not be about fishing for fish, gathering fish in. Your life will be about gathering people, about touching lives, about transforming lives, about bringing human beings into an encounter with God. And they said, okay, we'll do that. And it's really interesting, the phrase in there. Jesus says, it's in verse 17, I will make You become. I will make you become. His desire is to make them become someone who can reach others effectively and powerfully and permanently. And that's how he introduces himself to his disciples. So now let's look at that. Keep your move on with me to the two books from there to the book of John, chapter 4. We'll look at another scene in Jesus' life. This is a few months, maybe a year or so later, in John chapter 4. And we'll look at verse 31. Let me give you this background, this story. So what has happened, Jesus and his disciples are traveling through an area called Samaria. Samaria was north of where they lived in Judea. And <clears throat> Samaria was, the Samaritans were sort of the outcasts. They were the sort of neglected, the despised people of that community. Certainly within Jesus' community, the, the Jews in Jerusalem. He, they, they very much despised the Samaritans. There was kind of tussles with them. And there was just friction between these two groups. And so Jesus is going through Samaria And as he's going, you know, it's midday. They haven't had anything to eat. And his disciples, he's teaching them whatever. And they tells them, hey, guys, why don't you go in to town, get me something to eat and get us something to eat. So they went and they went all went to get something to eat. And Jesus is waiting for them. He's sitting there by this well that was outside this city in Samaria. And while he's there, it's midday, a woman comes to gather water. Been a very unusual thing to do. Uh, usually, women would go gather water in the early morning. For some reason, this woman is coming out in the middle of the day to gather water, and Jesus begins to ta- start a conversation with her. And she's kind of shocked that he's doing it because Jews so disdained Samaritans; they would almost never talk to him. So he's having a conversation with her, and during the conversation, he uh, she begins to uh, he ask her. You know, he asks this question to her. He says, "Hey." Go get your husband. I want to meet him. And she says, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and you're living with a guy you're not married to. And she said, you're a prophet. And so then they, he said, well, at least. You know, he didn't say that. But, but then they got into a conversation about worship and things. And, and as this conversation is wrapping up, the disciples are buying the food, and they're coming back. And they're coming up to the well, and she walks and goes back into the village. And they're kind of amongst themselves, saying, You know, what's he talking to her about, man? What's what's up with him? He's talking to her. They didn't say it to him, but they were saying it amongst themselves, and they get there. And Jesus begins this in chapter four, verse thirty one. We'll start in thirty-two. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Jesus said in verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What a kind of powerful, profound statement he says. My food, my life is about doing the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Work. It goes on in verse thirty-five. Don't say, don't, don't you have a saying? It's four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look; they are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage, and the harvest a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying, "One reaps, another uh, sows," is true. And so, here's what Jesus does. He's if you get the whole story. He's there. He's talking. This woman goes back into the community. He's with his disciples, and he makes this comment to them. He says, guys, look, I'm telling you, I'm doing something It's better than food. What it does to your soul is better than food. Guys, I am accomplishing the will of God. I am proclaiming him. I am sharing my faith. I'm sharing about him with somebody else. And then he tells them this. Hey, guys, don't say There's four months in the harvest. Don't say, you know, sometimes somewhere. He goes, look, I want you guys to open your eyes up. The fields are ripe for harvest. And as he's doing that, we read the story. What happens is this woman goes into the village, tells the community about what happened to her. She She comes out of the village. Everybody in the village is coming out to where Jesus is, At this well. Now, could you imagine being a disciple? He's talking to this one gal, and you know, you get him his food, and he says this kind of comment, you don't know what he means by it. Then all of a sudden, this whole village is coming out to hear about him, to hear from him, to hear truth, to hear him share about God and the kingdom of God. And literally says here, they stayed there for two days. Could you imagine that? two days. They're just out there talking about God, talking about him and the kingdom of God. And these disciples are looking at this going, wow, you know, wow, what, what is this? People are interested, you know, and he's probably getting a side conversation with somebody. They ask them a question maybe. Of course, they say, whatever he says, that's the answer. You know, they're just not, you know, but, but, they're, but, but this would be a very, very powerful thing. And Jesus says to them, hey, guys, Open up your eyes. People are ready. People are hungry. People are curious about what you believe. And I believe he would say that to us today, to you and I, every one of us here, that claim Christ as Lord and Savior. He would say, open up your eyes. People want to know about what we believe. There is a spiritual hunger that is in people's hearts that we need to speak into. You know, the other day I was watching a, uh, I was watching a clip uh, from a podcast that, that I'll, I'll look at every now and then, a Joe Rogan podcast. And on this Joe Rogan podcast, which, you know, I work out in the morning for an hour, you know, I listen to podcasts. I listen to Joe Rogan sometimes. And he had this guy on there named Brian Cowan. Brian Cowan is a comedian, not well-known, but he was a, he's a good comedian. And they were talking, and this is in the first 10, 12 minutes of their conversation. They were talking literally about tripping on drugs for a while, about smoking pot and how they trip before they get up to to do a com- comedic act, and they were talking about, oh, you got to get on the tail end of the mushroom, how you can't get, into, and I'm like, listen to this, going, oh, my gosh, and, and they are talking about this or talking about all this stuff, and then they start, and this guy, Brian, talks about how he'd gone to Jerusalem and he had been to the Holy Land, and Joe Rogan looks at him and says, are you now, a, are you becoming a Christian? Are you getting religious? And he answers, and, he said, and then Joe Rogan says, because a lot of my friends are, I'm amazed how many people now are getting into Christianity. I just, yeah, it's kind of cool. And the guy says to him, no, I'm not Christian. I can't believe Jesus rose from the dead. He says, I just can't believe that. But there's something about Christianity that perplexes me and I can't get it out of my mind. He says, see, 2,000 years ago, there was a guy named Julius Caesar. He conquered the world. He was the, the first Caesar of the Roman Empire. He was celebrated as a god. And he was on top of the mountain. He had everything he wanted. Just like in our day, there are men, and he mentioned Jeff Bezos and maybe others, who are at the top of the mountain. He says, yet... At that same time in history, there is this rabbi, this radical rabbi in the countryside, and he's saying things like love your neighbor, forgive people. He's saying, oh, and your bodily appetites, there need to be submitted to a higher power and a higher law. And he said a lot of things, and he said them with such popularity that he threatened people and he got himself crucified and even on his cross as he's dying he says forgive them and he's he's crucified now here's what bothers me about him as he goes on he says today i don't care if you're a christian or an atheist we revere that rabbi We revere him. We honor him. We want to be like him, whether we believe he was God or not. And we just don't think that much of the other. He said, and I have to think. He says, over and over again, I've been thinking in my mind, how can I make sense of this? And he says, you know what I think it is? There's something about that guy that dovetails with the universe. And he he literally said this, I think it's truth. This is a unbeliever who lives a pretty out there lifestyle who is telling honestly, he's talking about Jesus and he's saying, this guy haunts me Who he is, what he did is haunting to me. Jesus says, I tell you, the fields are white for harvest. You know, there was a survey of people and they they said that 51% of unbelievers who know or work with a Christian, see, number one, they admire them and they are curious about their faith and they love to hear about it. People are open, and Jesus is saying that in this thing. Hey, guys, look up. They're white. So this is the second scene, this second story. So we go from him calling them and saying, guys, you're going to be fishers of men. They come, and they see this one little coincidental conversation turn into a two-day revival meeting, and a whole village is out there, and Jesus is telling them, hey, guys, eat this food. Jump in here with me. You're going to experience something you you won't know. Now look here at Luke chapter 10. Let me look at the third tier, third the third uh, scene. Luke chapter 10. It's to the left, two pages or one chapter, excuse me, to your left. Luke chapter 10. And what has happened in this passage is Jesus has in chapter nine sent out his 12 disciples. I think we probably most know Jesus had 12 disciples well, he sent them out to preach the gospel. Now, in chapter 10 of Luke, we see that Jesus actually had a larger group. He had about 60 more uh, guys that were uh, in his team. And so there's 72 of these disciples now. And they're with Jesus. And Jesus is sending them out, just like he did the other guys. So I want to look at a couple verses here. Uh, this is a long chapter. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But let me just give you a little background. Luke chapter 10. And this is the Lord's after this, the Lord's appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was going. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Again, he's telling them, hey, guys, people are more eager to hear about what about the gospel than you are to say it. They are more eager to hear it than you are to speak it. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. And then he goes on here. So he's telling these guys, hey, I'm sending you out to go minister and to go preach the gospel and to go share. And then you skip down to verse 17 of Luke chapter 10, verse 17. So what happens? These guys go out. And Jesus shared a lot of other instructions with them. I don't want to get into that. But they go out. And they share the gospel, and they go to towns and communities. And look at what happens in verse 17. The 72 returned with sorrow. They returned with rejection. They returned with, what does it say there? They returned with what? Joy. Joy. Everybody say the word joy again. Joy. They returned with joy. They were like, oh my gosh, they were elated. And then look at what they said. Look at what made them excited. They said, Lord, they returned with joy and said, even the demons submit to us in your name. Verse 18, Jesus said this, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Think about that. Jesus is saying, when these guys go out and they share their faith, Jesus says, this is over. This is is over. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And he goes on here in verse verse 18, verse 19. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that your spirits are submitted to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Verse 21, at that time, Jesus, full of what? Joy. Joy. Through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from wise and learned and revealed them to children. Yes, Father, this is what pleased you to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those who he chooses to reveal them. Verse 23, Jesus turned to his disciples. Look at this, what he says here. Blessed are the eyes... That see what you see. Wow. This is God, the creator, is a human being. And he looks. What if he looked at you and said, man, your eyes are blessed to see what you're seeing. And look at what he says in verse 24. Kings. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but did not. Wanted to hear what you hear did not. Here's what he's saying, guys. What you're doing, what you're a part of, what you just did in going out and sharing your faith, what you did in seeing the kingdom of God overthrow the kingdom of darkness through the proclamation of God's word. He says, I'm telling you something. Kings wanted to see that happen. Prophets wanted to see that happen. What your eyes are seeing is incredible. And Jesus was full of joy, full of joy, full of joy. So this is the third tier. This is where these guys got ruined. They were called, and they followed Jesus. Jesus said, "Hey, follow me, you're going to become a fishers of men." They're at a, at a situation where Jesus shares the gospel with a woman, and he sees, they see this, "Wow, this incredible interest, this incredible hunger." and they go, "Oh my goodness." And Jesus says, "Hey, you guys, you know what? You're going to eat this, man." And you'll never be the same. This is the food you're going to be eating. And you're not going to be the same. And then he sends them out. And they go out and they discover it works. People will listen. People are hungry. And they hear it. Now, let me tell you something I want to share with you. It's specifically some things that I want to see happen in our church, some things that we've done to sort of a, a thing we developed and, and uh, that I think will help you do this because I think it is important. You know, they say the number one inhibitor for a Christian sharing their faith, you know what it is? You don't know what to say. You're scared you're going to have an answer that it, it just doesn't know what to say. So um, here's kind of my journey with this. When Before COVID happened, um, I remember being just becoming burdened with the, the book of Ephesians talks about what a pastor's job to do is. And you know what it is? It's not to preach good sermons. It's not to whatever. It's not to do although that's yeah, it's important. But but the real job it says is to equip church members to do the work of ministry. It's to enable and empower. Do what Jesus said. Hey, guys, I'm going to make you become fishers of men. It's to do what he did. And so I just became, honestly, just very burdened with how to do that. I remember years ago in Christianity when I was young, which sadly was a long time ago now, but I was a young man, young teenager, and I first became a Christian. One thing that our churches were boring, by the way, back then. Awful. Everybody remember Awful. Some of the older people here will tell you, awful. They were just, we have people in choir robes, They sit and moan through songs. It was terrible. It was the worst hour every week I had. I, I, I literally was. I remember this thinking before I became a Christian I am not doing this when I get old enough. I am not doing this. My parents can drag me all they want, make me wear a clip on tie and all these goofy clothes. This is not, I am not doing this, you know, when I'm, I, this is, this is it. I'm doing my time and um, And what happened is though so every now and then they take the youth to a cool youth meeting, and it would be awesome. There'd be like a, a good speaker, and he would be like he'd dress you know in jeans and so, or, you know he would just be cool and he would he would he would. He connect with you where you're at, and they had cool music, and it, it was just a neat thing, and you're just going, somebody one day got the bright idea. Let's make church like these things people want to go to, and, and so what was happened has been incredible, and, and we have cool churches now. Everybody just likes going to church, but back then, here's something that we used to do. Back then, everybody knew how to share their faith. Everybody knew how to, there was different methods. I won't want to go into super detail, but everybody knew how to share their faith. Every Christian was committed to sharing their faith. And we would win people to Christ in their living rooms. We'd win people to Christ at, at work. They'd get saved there, and then we'd bring them to church. That was utterly boring, but they would still come. We'd still bring them. That's how it worked. And what's happened now is that people just bring their friends to church, which is cool to do, but so few people are are mobile and are able to take the gospel to others. In fact, I bet if your neighbor knocked on your door today and said, how do I become a Christian? What must I do? What do I got to do to become a Christian? Many of us here would go, come to church with me Sunday, Want you to meet my pastor or his wife or one or, or Josh or one, you, you, That's what would happen, and, and that's not ideal. So, so I began to really think: How can we do this? How can we not have keep church services great and cool and hip? But how can we uh, equip people? The average person that's not a professional minister. How can we make them able to to, to experience what these guys are experiencing? How can they eat that food that Jesus talked about? How can they experience that joy of, of connecting somebody to, to the Lord and being involved in those kind of conversations? And so um, I, had a, I had a kind of a journey with this. I was one morning last summer, I woke up, and which is a good thing to obviously wake up, but I woke up, and the Holy Spirit just put on my heart, I want you to write. A, I was just going to write a simple essay on something that I had come across when I was working on my dissertation, and about ten facts about Jesus that are historically certain. I just was, thought it was just kind of incredible in my research. To, it was kind of a side note to the dissertation, but I remember reading it, and you guys have maybe heard me share this sermon. I do it a couple times of every now and then. We'll do a series on it. But did that on those ten facts, and, and so I started writing it, and then my friend Neil and I were, were uh, having lunch with a guy named Randy Pope, who's a great man of God in in a Alpharetta. And he has a similar burden. He's probably the, the guy about how to equip people on how to do ministry. And I've just, you know, had a good conversation with him about this a few times. And he looked at me and he said, you need to write a book for your congregation to share their faith with others. And I'd started working on this and I thought, oh, well, and I told him, he said, yeah, go for it. Do that. And so we worked hard on it. We got it written. And, and, and what I, what I want to do is, uh, let me just, just tell you, what are, the, what are the 10 facts? It's real simple. We've got a copy of it here. Um, it looks like this. It's 10 facts, and it's, you know, it's just 10 historical facts about Jesus. It's kind of a, you know, whatever. That's it's how we did it. But in it, it just talks about the 10 facts. And here are the 10 facts. And we know Jesus was a real person. No historian. And and again, this is, I quote mostly atheists and Muslims and Jews in this. I don't quote very many Christians in this because they don't need to. Everybody agrees on these facts. Jesus was a real historical person. Jesus was famous for being a miracle worker. Uh, Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. Jesus was buried in the tomb of a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. Jesus' body, his tomb, excuse me, was found empty uh, a few days later by a group of women. Jesus was supposedly seen by dozens, if not hundreds of people after his, after his death. Next thing we know, Jews started worshiping him as God. Next thing we know is that a, a messianic movement uh, a, a centered around him broke out and spread dynamically. Next thing we know is that Gentiles from all over the world began to renounce pagan deities and follow a crucified Jewish carpenter as their Lord and as their God. And the last thing we know, 10th thing is that today he is the single greatest figure in human history. Indisputable. So I put all those 10 facts together. Now, if you think of those 10 facts are a great message. Those 10 facts are very complete. You don't have to say anything else. So we just did this. What, um, and what I, this is just kind of my vision to do. I, I, I want to we, we package these books Two by two. Take one, give one. I want everybody here to take one. We're not selling them. I have any intention to do that. Take one. But I want you to take one. I want you to also give one to somebody. Somebody in your life. Someone who you don't know where they're at spiritually. Read it yourself. Tell them, hey, uh, you know, some questions I always had got to answer. That's hopefully what will happen. You know, whatever you say. Read it. Give it to them. And then follow up with them about it. And all the book does, it just goes over the 10 facts. It takes about 45 minutes to read. And then at the end of it, it talks about the conclusion. And then it has a chapter on how to become a Christian. In the conclusion, it just says this. There is a process people go through if they, go from, if, if they become a Christian. And here's the process. First thing, people are dismissive. Second thing people become is they become, they believe it's possible. This is actually possibly true. Third thing is they begin to realize this is likely true. And the fourth thing is they just become convinced. They take that step of faith and they become convinced. And I always think it's real important just to ask somebody, you can have a conversation, what point they liked or didn't like, what you think of the book, whatever. But ask them where they are. How would you describe yourself? Would you say you're dismissive? Would you say you're, um, you think this is possible? Would you think it's likely? Or would you think you're convinced of it? And then there's a next chapter just talks about how to become a Christian, the ABC uh, thing that we go over. But, but that's, the, that's the thing I want to encourage you to do. I, I would love if you would do that. I would love to see your life get ruined when you get involved with reaching other people with the message of, of Christ, all you're simply doing is giving them a book that just tells them clearly who Jesus was historically. It's not controversial. There's nothing to argue about. And then you're asking them, what sense do you make of this? Very simple to do. I want to encourage you to do that. encourage you to take those steps and, and do that, and watch God do good things, so we we package them together in twos because we want to I want to put pressure on you to take one to uh, to also give one away and and give one to somebody and watch some great things happen. Let, let, let me give you closing with three things I think are really important as you step out in this thing um, and, and take this really. and this is a step of faith for a lot of us. I, I get that. I, I remember in my life learning how to share my faith and what a step it was. and you just think, Somebody's going to call you a name or somebody's going to hate your guts and you're going to have, you have all these fears of what may happen and, and uh, those, <laughs> don't, those don't materialize. Um, let me give you just three things I think will, will to help you do this. Number one is, and we, we talk about this, um, who should you reach? I think go to your sphere of influence. You know, go to the people that you go to school with, people you work with, the people you live around the people you grew up with, the people you know, people that you have a relationship with. Start with them. Jesus once taught the kingdom of God is like a little grain of mustard seed. You put it in the ground, and it grows. He said the kingdom of God, the next verse is in Matthew 13. He said the kingdom of God is like a little bit of leaven, which a woman took, and she put it in some flour until the whole uh, lump of dough became leavened. That's exactly what a Christian, that's how the the Christianity spreads. There's different spheres, different pots of, you know, clumps of dough, if you will, that you're a part of. And God just puts you in there and lets you spread. Spread where you are. You know, one of our uh, core values of our church is we believe every Christian is uniquely gifted and specifically stationed to serve God in ministry. You are who you are to reach where you are. And so I would just say, start with there. Reach people you know. Get involved with them. Have a good conversation about this with them. It's informed and will connect with them. Uh, the second thing I would encourage you to do is um, to not to just realize this. People, I mean, to not be afraid. Not be afraid. There's, there's a really cool passage in, in the New Testament in one of Paul's letters. It's in Corinthians, uh, second. Uh, excuse me, First Corinthians one and chapter two also. Where Paul talks about how when he brought the gospel to others, Paul was a great preacher. He saw miracles. He changed the world with his preaching. But you know what he said? When He goes, he goes man, I, when I was hearing the gospel with you guys, I was in fear and trembling. Man, I was afraid. I was scared. I was reluctant. I felt fear. Feeling fear is not unusual, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. That fact, courage doesn't happen outside of fear. If somebody does something very risky and they aren't afraid, they aren't brave, they're crazy. <laughs> but yeah, you're, you're stepping out there. You're doing something brave. You're putting yourself out there. Take that step of courage. That's where power is. Paul said in that same passage, he said, man, I was weak, but when I took that step and I spoke, I felt and experienced the power of God, and so will you. Don't be embrace weakness and move forward with it. And the last thing, the third thing, we've talked about this already, but man, people are more open than you think. You cannot see what what God sees. God is drawing people to himself. He always does it. He constantly does it. I cannot tell you how many times myself or my wife have been on a plane or, you know, doing something innocuous. And we'll talk to somebody. We'll get in conversation, and they'll find out we're pastors, and they'll just just want to talk about God. They'll want to talk about the Lord. They find out we believe in Christ, and they just want to talk about it. They want to ask questions. People are very interested, particularly right now. Our, 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 you know, I was telling some other day, atheism has had a platform in this kind of stuff It's had a platform for a long time, and it has not produced. It hasn't produced anything sensible, anything productive, this sort of anti-Christian sentiment that we've seen sort of out there. It hasn't worked, and people see it has made our country worse, not better. And I, I just believe we have a, a country that's ripe, and, and you know, we have people around us that are ripe to hear the gospel. So that's, that's my challenge to you, those three things. Jesus wants to ruin your life just like he ruined his disciples' life. He wants to give you a, a, a sense of purpose and adventure in being whatever you are, in living wherever you are that is, that is extraordinary and is exciting and life-changing, something that will produce incredible joy in your life and will produce incredible joy in him. It's a powerful thought. Let's, let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Story we just look at of your interaction with your disciples, and we thank you that you are to some extent doing the same process in our lives. You're teaching us how to become fishers of men. You're teaching us how to make a difference in the life of people we love and know, we we share life with. Father, I pray you would give us eyes to see the openness of people to you. I pray you'd fill our hearts with courage and faith to take a step to reach and engage people who don't know you. Lord, we thank you so much for for your presence. We thank you for your message. We thank you for its impact on our lives. We pray we'd be able to see others impacted as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.